0: to the Love and Grace Podcast. My name is Joel Menken, and today, via Zoom, we have got Chuck Ammons. How are you doing, Chuck?
1: Hey, Joel. It is so good to be with you today.
0: Awesome, awesome. I got to go to a conference that you happen to be uh, teaching at, and I just want to dig deep into first understanding your background and then digging deep into all of the wonderful things that you've got to experience on your journey through love and grace. So let's start. Absolutely. Let's start off with, first off, where's home for you?
1: So home right now for me, we are down in the sunshine state of Florida, just outside of Tampa. And I'm actually, um, my wife and I and our kids, we moved to our dream home this past year. So I'm sitting in my home office right now. On an acre of land, married to my high school sweetheart, we've got uh, five biological kids and two foster kids, and we're hanging out here in a much warmer place than you are right now, Joel.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm up here in, in Dayton, Ohio, and we are, let's see, I think today, today's not too bad. I think today we're touching, we're right at freezing, tomorrow, wow. tomorrow through Monday we're supposed to get like some snow. And some ice. Wow! So we
1: we'd close everything if that happened. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, okay. So did you did you grow up in a Christian home?
1: So the the somewhat short answer to that would be yes. I was in a Christian home, but not a church home. So I actually don't really remember a time that I didn't believe in the existence of God, and not just God, but the Christian God. Believe in Jesus. Uh, my mom. Uh, was and is the most Christ-like, hospitable, compassionate. Um, So all of the morality side of Christianity I understood, but it wouldn't have been until I was about 15 years old that a real reality of my own um, sin, I really wrestled a lot with shame, and that would have been the first place where I really started wrestling through this picture of what is my own responsibility before God.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, what what led you to a place of of an encounter with Jesus?
1: So I would say the biggest factor that shifted that for me. So I lived in Florida. Over the summers, I'd go stay with my grandparents, both my mom's parents and my dad's. And my dad's mom was a Pentecostal holiness minister. <laughs> and so we would go to church with her, and it was the most interesting thing because, you know, she's this frail little five foot two. 90-pound woman, but when she would begin to speak about Jesus, something would come alive in her that that I could only feel enveloped in this safety and this compassion, this love, and this power Mm -hmm. that I couldn't deny. And so when I watched how she lived, I knew that the ways that I had gone, because of course my family had visited churches, but it had always been this intellectual and like like a separation between sacred and secular, right? right, was how I grew up was you know jesus doesn't really care about when i go out and play football that's what i would have believed right it's jesus cares about when i'm doing these church things in this box but that wasn't how my grandma lived it was like jesus was at the center of everything and so over the next years i started having a lot of conversations with her about the nature of who god is about god's love and that was where really a journey started the next few years of my life from probably 15 to 17 that there was this hunger but really what was undergirding all of that was shame. I mean, I was just all the time living in a place that, you know, I was a nice guy, but I could never quite get it right. And I was aware of um of my sin. Just a, a little side note on that. I can remember my first uh time, probably about the age of 15, where I recognized the Bible was the word of God, it, Jesus is the Son of God. And so I was overwhelmed by how large and vast and big God is. And I know my own stuff and I knew my own, you know, thought patterns and some of my own addictions. And so I I got a Bible from I think it was from my grandma and I would lock myself in my room every day and literally like lock the door. I can remember. And I think the reason I locked the door was to keep myself from escaping because I didn't get the Bible. I didn't understand the Bible. And quite frankly, it terrified me. Mm -hmm. I started in the beginning of Genesis. But in my mind, I have to read three chapters of the Bible a day or else God's going to get me. Like, that was my view. And I can remember times, Joel, that it would be uh, a thunderstorm outside. And I would stop in the moment that it would thunder and think, what is it that I've done? And start confessing. And so it was almost an obsessive, compulsive type of, you know, repent for the same thing over and over and over and over again. And so from 15 to 17, that was the bane of my existence. It was every time that I was away from social life, I was quietly, today I couldn't even really call it praying because I was being tormented, Um, and I was in a place where I felt God was big, and everything that I read about Jesus loves me, but gosh, I didn't, I wasn't able to understand or grasp it at all the way I do today. It had been kind of the early formation, and then at about the age of 17, uh, I went with a friend, they invited me to their youth group. Went for the first time. In fact, actually, that's not entirely true. I tried to um, do everything possible to deny their like decline their invitation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so they kept inviting, I have plans, invite, I have plans. And finally they had this weekend retreat. And my thought was, you know what? If I go on a Friday night and a Saturday, like I've I've paid all my dues. And <laughs> I can tell them from this point, I don't have to do anything else. I tried it. It's not for me. And at that point, I ended up meeting who would go on not only to be my Um, first youth pastor, but then a youth pastor that was a mentor to me, who then became my best friend, the best man of my wedding. And to this day now, uh, gosh, over 20 years later, we are co-pastors at a church together. And so his view of God really started shifting and shaking and and breaking some of that shame in me. And I would have said at the age of 17 was where I first started seeing God in a relational way and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good.
0: Wow. Um, When you moved out, Was there a point that you needed to make sure that you were doing – you were following what you really believed in your heart? Was there a a point of questioning what you believed when you were away from your parents? Oh,
1: for sure. For sure. So when I got into college, um, I I started as an elementary education major. And the funny thing was from the time I was young, my grandfather told me – I was maybe five years old – and he said, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a pastor. And I remember thinking like, like, dear God, no, not that, anything but that. Church is the bad. place I go where I'm bored to tears. Like, Don't say that over me. But that always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And so when I graduated high school, I had two paths before me. I said, well, either I'm going to be a teacher because I love kids and teenagers, or I'm going to be a pastor because my grandpa always said so. And I went the path of elementary education at, um, at University of South Florida and realized very quickly that was not my path. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, no, I, I'm not going to make it here. And it was that youth pastor that I was realizing every moment that I spent, um, out of school, I'm with him and I'm helping him build the youth group. And finally it hit me like, I think I want to do this with my life. And so he took me under his wing and said, well, if, if you're going to do this with your life, you're going to see what it actually looks like. He said, I'm not going to give you a glossed up version of, of Jesus or Christianity or church. And he couldn't have known, but this is like what was rumbling under the surface was this really awful church scandal and split that in order for him to stand in integrity, he would have to leave. And so I was right next to him in all of this. So in the fallout of that being 18 or 19, I'm having to look at, okay, if, if I'm going to consider going to Bible college and be a pastor, is my faith actually reasonable? And is it willing to stand? And so I did, I had several different places of struggle. One was intellectual. Where I looked at, you know, things I was taught about Darwinian evolution, and so I did a really deep dive um, on a collegiate level of what are the scientific truths, and and everywhere I turned, Joel, it was like it was just leading me to creation, screaming out the glory of God. Where I was seeing again and again and again that He was real, and so Hookline and Sinker went to Bible college having never read the Bible, which is not maybe the best way to do it, <laughs> but that was the way I did it showed up in Bible college. I mean, to give you an idea of how bad it was, I showed up in Bible college and they told one of those cheesy Bible jokes where they were like, okay, everybody open up to the book of Hezekiah and I'm the only dude in a class of 25 that's flipping looking for it and thinking in my mind, oh no, I got a defective Bible. <laughs> I got a Bible didn't get the book of Hezekiah because I can't find it. And so that was kind of the start. And from there, the next few years, uh, I got a really strong theological foundation about a lot of truths of who god was Mm -hmm. uh who who god is how he wants to lead us and i read a lot about his love and i tried to walk in it and so i would say in one sense it all was very real but for the next uh gosh over over decade of my life you know getting married being a, a youth pastor in a thriving church and jesus being everything to me um there was a place where I was right on the brink of a breakthrough that I had no idea I needed. And so I hit a, uh, a point of just burnout. I got to the place where I knew the Bible was real. I knew what God said was real. I still felt deep down. I was the problem. Uh, Wrestled with shame. Not like I did as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Right. In fact, I was ministering all the time to people in our church, teenagers, adults, parents, and I was able to minister shame off of them but I still lived with shame on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And the only way I know to explain it is I was living like I needed to climb some kind of theological ladder, right? Like even I was responsible at this point, now I'm fast-forwarding quite a bit um, in my story, but I was the discipleship and youth pastor. Mm. Um, I was uh, already in in my early 30s at this point, and um, every pattern that I built for how we grow in our faith had a step one step two step three so it would be you know you pray to receive jesus and then you did, and it is all these spiritual disciplines and what i found was i kept having to add steps because i was really fervent and running after the lord but i could never get to the place where i could get on the other side of that shame and feel like i was worthy of his love and it got so bad for me that i reached a place where even for a period of time I needed to stop reading my Bible. It's the craziest thing. The Lord leaned into me. You know as well as I do, sometimes the Lord says some things that are really illogical and ruffle religious feathers. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a context for it, but he leaned into me one day in prayer and he said, I need you to stop reading your Bible. And I was like, that can't be God. (laughs) God does not. That can't be. Right. So I'm ready to rebuke the enemy. And he said, I need you to quit reading your Bible because you're reading it in a way that is vilifying and making me a monster. Hmm and it and it shook and i said okay what am i to do and he said i want you and he didn't give me a period of time but he said for the next time i want you to read whatever you want to read and that was all he said read whatever you want to read you find people that are living a life like what you want with me you read that so i was like this is sacrilege i'm not going to tell anybody (laughs) at my church this is what i'm doing but but i did so i set aside my bible and obviously it wasn't i'm not going to read it but all my daily quiet time all my prayer time, all these rules and rituals that I got down good, right? Like seven to eight o'clock I have this time. I used to, at Bible college, have an hour of prayer that was slated out and I'm praying for everything from you know my mom to the missionaries in Nigeria and like down one, two, three, four, five, six. And he told me, you need to stop doing all of that because it it is wrecking you. So for a year, I'm starting to have life breathe into me again and I'm starting to read people that are really living a different journey with God that I want. Um, they're alive. They're not buried under shame. And they're really quick to admit they haven't arrived anywhere other than at the foot of the cross and the grace of Jesus. And so I end up at the end of all of this, and this is kind of where a turning point comes that I know will, will lead us into some good conversation. I end up at, at the end of all of it at this conference, about two hours from my home called Power and Love with Todd White. Okay. I didn't know anything about power and love. I had never heard Todd White. I had seen some of the fingerprints of God. Um DVDs and, and videos and was so hungry for it. Knew it was real, believed it was real, went all the way back to my grandma to know. And in our church, we watched The Miraculous all the time. I had been ministering The Miraculous. But I was at this place where I'm going to a conference. And in fact, at this conference, I went as the leader.
2: So I took <laughs> some college students with
1: me. And I can only say that in quotes because I had no idea what God had in store for me. And so we did this deal where where they would come out and share All about the miraculous life of everything being the love of a a God that came to pay everything for you and already adores you, and a power that is just waiting to pour out because all the Holy Spirit's already yours. And conceptually, man, I loved it. Some of the best teaching I ever sat under, except then they would end and say, okay, now we're going to go have love in action. And I was kind of like, come again now? (laughs) We're going to do what? And they said, we're going to go out in the entire city and just start wherever the Lord leads you. Don't overthink it. If you're hungry, go get something to eat. If you need a new pair of shoes, go to Walmart, but you're gonna take this two hour break and you're just gonna ask the father to give you eyes to see people and obey whatever he tells you. And now you gotta know from what I just told you, I had done for years. I was the master of building the rungs and the ladder. Like this is offensive. Like this is (laughs) the point of going, what, just go out and talk to strength, no plan, no manual, no steps. And for somebody who already felt he was gonna screw things up, it was overwhelming. So the first time out, I take the college students with me and we go out to eat and, and I stammer and stutter through, you know, trying to really look for here, ask all the questions they said. And honestly, now I can look at it and say it was, a, it was a beautiful time where we encouraged a waitress and it was great. But I was like, I'm doing this wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So then we get to the next break and have another kind of halfway awkward time. We get to the next day and they go into the third break and all of the college students abandoned me. Oh, like every single one of them. They said, well, we heard something in the last session about how we should go out with people we haven't met yet. So we're going to all go out with some. And they are so excited, like, yeah, Jesus. And they're looking at me. And I'm like, listen, my mom told me not to talk to strangers. So <laughs> I'm not going out with somebody I've never met before. I feel like, I mean, this big and defeated. And and I remember the Lord leaning into me and saying, I want you to go back to your hotel room. And I said, God, that's kind of the opposite of this entire deal. Like it's—I've been coming here to finally get out of my bubble, not to go and and hide again. And he said, "You need to go back to your hotel room." And so I just—I I, I shrunk down in defeat, dropped my head, my shoulders, went down to the Days Inn across town, and it was maybe Joel thirty-five minutes in a hotel room that there was a song, uh, "Come Away," was a Bethel song that they had played at the conference. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't escape it. So I put it on my phone, set it on the bed. And then I just let God have it. I just, I yelled and screamed at God to say, you know what, here's all of this. I've left this to follow you. I've left this to follow you. You know, I I love you and I'll do an I'll lay down my life for you. And yet I can't get past this sense of shame. And I said, and what you're asking me to do, I'm trying the best I know how to do. And I can't do it. I can't, I'm going to fail at this. And then I just hear a silence. They said, good are you ready to finally let it go? Are you ready to finally let go of your effort? Are you ready to finally let go of protecting your reputation and get your identity? And all of a sudden in this hotel room, I saw what was like a starting line of a race, like the the chalk that would be across the starting line of a track. And I saw this line across the floor. I said, are you ready to cross the line, son? And I didn't even hesitate. I lunge across The line, only to look up and realize my my uh, window to the hotel room, the curtains have been open the whole time, (laughs) and I'm facing out in the parking lot. You know, so I've just been here yelling and shouting and lunging and raising my hands up. But at that point, it was like something lifted, even to a point of I didn't know what happened. And it, I I laugh about it. In fact, I wrote about it and kind of in a joke that is absolutely not. I've, I've shared this story in writing, and people are like, "You're exaggerating." I said, "I promise you." this is not exaggerated i walked out from the doorway of room 120 of the days inn in naples and something had changed and suddenly i'm walking down like the christian version of elf down the <laughs> main hallway it's like i'm i'm seeing the the um one of the cleaning ladies come by and i'm like hi good afternoon the linens are lovely you know and i'm like <laughs> just all the way out all the way across to uh to eat at the cracker barrel and Gladly announced that I'm dining alone. And then I find myself as I'm sitting there, the waitress comes up and it's like, I'm seeing and sensing things going on in her world and her life. Things I'm supposed to ask her about, you know, this, that, and the other. And it's no longer like, and I've gone to Bible college. I've gone and gotten my master's degree in theology. I knew all of the tricks. I knew all the evangelism tactics. This wasn't that. Mm -hmm. This was just, I loved this young lady. I'd never met with the love of the father. And I wanted more than anything for her to know that she was loved. And so for the rest of the weekend, I didn't know what was happening. But time after time after time, I'm starting to step out of my box. And when I went home, you know, the way my wife, who has been my best friend for many years, we're coming up with 20 years of marriage, she says, you know, the guy that left and went to that conference never came back. That just something about everything and who you are is different and changed. And so that was the, the very beginning of a journey into understanding the magnitude of the father's love in the midst of our mess and just how ready he is to meet with us, push us away from religion. And, uh, it's been a wild ride since then. That's
0: 2015. Wow. 2015. We're 21. Yeah. Six years. Yeah. So that, that's, I don't want to say it's identical, but I have a similar thing where just going through, just following the Lord and stuff has completely opened my eyes to love and grace and how that, how important that is not only in theology with what, how I'm understanding the Bible, but how I'm living. Because if I see someone on the side of the road, I see someone on the street, someone passing on the sidewalk, seeing them as not only another human being, which is important, but seeing them right. as a son or daughter of God. And they are my brother and my sister, that, that I need to, I, I guess I've gotten, because of the, the upbringing that I had, I had, I had always thought there was an us and them it's us we're right. we're the the righteous and you have to go through all of these things to be righteous in God's eyes and you I don't know your story. I don't know if you've gone through these steps to be righteous with God. Where that really was a big separator from from seeing them as as okay I, mean, I, I don't want to say i didn't see them as human beings but i didn't see them as right. someone who is is supposed to who who is is not below you but is on the same level as you right no matter what um so just thinking through those things and and actually living through those i had uh i had a one time um i was uh coming home from the airport and um we had just that we they had just started construction here in dayton for an interchange um 70 75 interchange um so they're just putting up the k rail and the concrete barrier and all that stuff and there's this guy on the side of the road with his thumb out like why in the world are you on the highway at the beginning of construction too so I'm, you know, all this conversation going on in my head and I'm getting closer and the Lord tells me to help him. Eh, you know, the typical conversation you have with the Lord. No, I don't want to do that. it will be stupid. And he says, help him. And it was a gent, it was the most gentle words. Just help him, help him. And I'm like, okay, fine. And as soon as I said, okay, fine, I went past him. Um, I'm like, Okay. I can't not do this now. So I get off the next exit, go back around, go through that intersection the other way, go back up towards the airport, turn around, come back, pass him or come up to him, not passing him, get over and, and help him. And he's like, oh, great. Thanks for stopping. And we get, he gets in and we get going down the road, probably by the end of the intersection. Like, Really soon after he gets in the car and we get moving, he asks, Why did you stop? What why why did you stop? And I said, Well, the Lord told me to Lord told me to. And he just broke down. Just just the action of me obeying the Lord yeah. was yeah. was enough to I don't know I don't know what this guy was praying. I don't know if he was praying at all. I don't know if he was a Christian or not. But what, however, however, that hit him. That was heavy. It was very important to him, and I immediately just went into, "Hey, God loves you. God cares for you. He has a plan for your life. He He knows what's going on. All these things that that we've heard in the Bible, but not really taken to heart. It's like, oh, God's got a plan for your life. Okay, great. No, right, he's right. Got, he He loves and cares for you, you specifically." Before the foundation of the earth, he created you. So, just all just all that. Um, he was on his way down into Kentucky. Um, I told him I um, at the time I didn't have a job. Um, I was driving mom and dad's car, and we had about half a tank of gas left in the car. Like, okay, I don't have money to go, you know, go get gas. So I was like, I will take you half as far as my tank will let me you know, I need to get back where I am. And we get down into, um, get down just across the Ohio river into Kentucky. And I say, Hey, where's a, where's a good place you think would be a good place for you to get the next ride. Cause I need to head back up and we find a place and, um, let him off and make sure he has money for some food and stuff and make sure he's, he's good. And then I, I turn around and start coming back up the highway and it had to be the first song on the radio that that came came on and it was i don't remember who who was singing this but it was i love and care for you i have a plan for your life i know what i'm doing and i'm like oh <laughs> and i cried all the way home <laughs> man so wow and just just seeing the action of the the action of doing the love and grace. It's, it, it was, I wasn't doing yeah. it because I was trying to please the Lord or I was trying Correct. to reach some sort of status with the Lord. He asked me to do something. Yes. Through arguing, I did it. So, those, those things, it's just amazing to see when, when you are able to see just a glimpse of the bigger picture and see, oh, Something was going on with this guy, and you told me to do this, which was something you had told him, or something you're showing him, and just all those wonderful things. Yeah. So, well, uh, oh,
1: I think. Go ahead. I think you're getting into this picture of um, getting rid of the separation between us and them, mm-hmm. which is so huge, because that's where we get back to the simplicity of the gospel. Right? They had 613 laws that they said we got to follow all these things to be perfect. And Jesus is asking, he says, no, love the Father with every bit of your being, right? And if you're going to love the Father with every bit of your being, the way I typically share it is, you know, how much is all, percentage-wise? That's 100%. -hmm. If you give God 100% of you, then what percentage do you have left to do anything else? Mm -hmm. Nothing, right? So your one Christian duty is love the Father, bring all of your mess, all of your doubts, all of your questions, all of your shame, bring everything, because he wants to trade burdens. You bring it all to him, and then he says there's an exchange that takes place Mm
2: -hmm.
1: where you're going to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so what I saw, the way it worked out in my life, was when I came in that moment to say, Father, I'm just ready to cross this line with you, that I finally was able to see the way the Father loved me. Mm -hmm. And I was able to love myself. And what I found is if I can love myself, then loving others is easy, because then we're back at this place where there's there's no us and them, right? It's just us. Mm -hmm. It's just the human race that the father cares so deeply about that he sent his son to die for so that we could all find a way to be one to any who would come of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And I think there, that is a message. And so I just commend you, Joel, what you're doing with love and grace because if ever there was a time, like I hear people all the time, it's so dark outside, it's so dark outside, it's so dark outside. On one, I think we need to be better students of history. These are not the darkest days we've ever lived in. I think anytime we say that, maybe we don't understand that right we've seen many of these seasons before but the second thing i would say is when it's darkest out that's when the true light is most evident and so there are a lot of people right now that have walked away from evangelicalism as they would call it but i'm watching and they haven't walked away from jesus meaning jesus isn't their problem Mm -hmm. their problem is a system of things that don't look very much like jesus like i i had you know i talked about moving here to our dream house and um I'm not the most detail-oriented person, mm-hmm. so when um, when we got here, there was a worker that came by that was a census worker, and I had no idea that my wife had already filled out the census information for us. So this lady comes down, and normally, um, you know, I'm not there to answer the door, but I happened to be this day, and I came outside, and she was there talking with a very uh, uh, very heavy accent, maybe she was from one of the islands, Jamaica or something, and as she starts talking to me she first of all says thank you so much that you came and you answered the door and I, it kind of caught me back I said well of course she had an official like government badge on she said most of the people down the street many of your neighbors have been yelling at me one even threatened me to get off their property and said they were going to call the cops on me and I said oh I'm so sorry so I'm just listening to this lady and she starts going through uh, census information which if you know anything about the census it's going to be detailed it's going to be long and we're a family of nine I've got five biological kids and I've got two foster kids. And so this thing is settling in and I've got my tasks and everything. And I feel the father just saying, stop, just see her, just listen. And so we start going and she starts to share things. And as she's sharing, she starts sharing about just people's anger and people's problems and how broken the world is. And so she asked my kid's name. And I said, Bradley, and we fill it out. And I say, Josiah. And then I say, Gabriel. And by the time I get to Gabriel, it's out of the pages of the Bible. You can't make it up. She stops and says, sir, I see you're a, you are a religious man. And she actually said that phrase. Right. (laughs) And I laughed and I said, I said, well, actually um, I I love Jesus a lot. Yes. And she said, well, you know, I used to go to church. I grew up in church. They made us go to church with our family. We had to go there all day. She said, you know, I haven't, and got really sad. She said, I haven't gone in a long time because well, so me and him just have some things we're working through. And as she's talking, I'm sensing right away, there's something going on with, with, racial tensions that are going between people that look like me white evangelicals and people that look like her a dark-skinned precious daughter she didn't say a word about it but that was what i sensed and then she continued to talk so we had some more conversation she talks again and then i think there's a problem going on where she's not feeling honored and has felt like people that look like me as evangelicals have not honored her voice as a woman in the kingdom of god and in creation so anyway by the time everything is said and done i'm just boy, like bubbling up in passion for her. Finally, she realizes she's not even supposed to be at my house, right? She's like, wait a second. We have all of your census information. I don't even need to be doing this interview. <laughs> so I stopped and I know, okay, this is no accident. And I'm just waiting. And before I could even get the words out, she said, well, I would just ask this. As I go later in my day, would you be praying for me? And I said, I would love to pray for you right now. I'd love nothing more than that. And so then she starts opening up. She says, well, you know, I just can't go to church because I just feel there's so much tension and anger and judgment. And um, she said, you know, I just, I love, I love Jesus, but I have a real problem with the church. And I said, I do too. And she about fell off the sidewalk at this point because she realized I was a pastor. (laughs) She said, what do you mean? I said, I said, it's religion that crucified Jesus. It's religion that put him there. And then I got a word from the Lord for her. And I said, can I tell you, because she's starting to get to the point of now, like get back to the spiritual disciplines. I'll be okay with God once I read my Bible, once I go to prayer, once I sort this out. I said, actually, he's a big boy. Many of the things you're angry about, I said, I just sensed this. And I told her what I thought she was struggling with and it. I believe it was on. I said, many of the things you're angry about are the very things he came to die for. I said, I'm angry about Him too. Your father just loves you. And she, she shifted this quick. She's like, where is your church? If I'm ever in town, I've got to go to your church. And it's like, That, Joel, is what I believe people are hungering for. So when I read statistics about how bad it's getting or how people are leaving the church and, and you know, Psalm 19 says that creation shouts the glory of God. And my theology is very simple. I believe what every person on every, you know, every part of the planet is hungering for more than anything else is they are hungering to know the love and the affection of their father because there's nothing greater on the planet. That's what they want. They might be feeding it with drugs. They might be feeding it with sex. They might be feeding it with something else. But those counterfeit saviors, we've we've got to stop fixating on that and show them a father that already went the whole distance, that like the prodigal's father is standing on the edge of the property line with his arms wide open, calling us home. And I think when we can represent that, when we can stand for love, and we can can really mine out the truths of what real grace looks like, then we can cut through a lot of that religious tension. I believe the days ahead for the church are going to be bright. I think we're going to see revival coming ahead, because what's happening is all the broken systems of all these ladders we've been trusting they're falling away. They're being seen as insufficient, and people are choosing not to do it anymore. And I, for one, am actually very giddy about that. And I say that as a pastor. I'm giddy, because what that means is we're at the place where now we can elevate what we should have been elevating the whole time.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, That that reminds me of the quote from Gandhi saying that, uh, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians yeah. are so yeah. unlike your Christ, and so often. Well when we can get past us, <laughs> get past, I, I, I've made the uh, made the statement a few times that uh, sometimes we're so focused on us we can't see past our nose. You are like, ah, oh, it's yeah. all about me. It's all about me. Is it about you? I mean, uh, mm. Jesus told us to be his hands and feet. We need to, to go and do, not saying that we do because we need to out of, out of uh, a duty.
1: How can we not? Yeah, that's it. How I, can we not? Once I guess, you've seen how you've been loved, you got to.
0: <laughs> right, I Unmarried from this point of view, but I see it as... When you when you love your spouse so much, do you not wanna do things that make them happy? Just just because. Right. And it's it's not because you want to please them. It's like, oh I'm gonna get brownie points. It's you truly love and care for them. That's it. So
1: Well, and that's you know, that the word that God gave me that is really kinda I had no idea that this word he gave me was gonna be such a marker for my life and everything moving ahead. But he gave me the word overflow. And the idea that he says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, mm-hmm. right? I'd always seen that as a negative, right? Those shameful things you're doing, your mouth is going to speak. And the Lord said to me, no, out of the overflow, of your your heart, your mouth speaks. So when you're actually loving you with all of your heart, and you understand how deeply I love you. you how, how can you not? You can't help it. And so that's what I found since 2015, Joel, I can't help it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? I, I just, I I, ha- I can't help loving people. I can't help forgiving people. And that's not saying that it's all become easy. No, sometimes uh, it's the hardest thing in the world, especially with religious people. I have the hardest time with people who claim the name of Christ because sometimes they can be the most downright mean because they don't understand the concept of grace. They act as if you know they got there somehow because of the way they read their Bible or they share their faith or they do this or how moral they are. But the reality is when you know how deeply you've been loved, it literally has to overflow out of you. You can't stop it. And, so it's, and I think that's what Jesus is getting with when he said, hey, your one job is you abide in me. And if you abide in me and have roots, you're going to bear fruit. Mm -hmm. It's not something separate. You do, you don't say, I've been abiding, now I'm going to go out here and bear fruit. It's like, no, it's the result, and it's going to fall out all around you. Mm -hmm. And that would be what I would say from 2015 to now, what has changed my family is we're walking much more in an effortless union with God that I know I'm adored by Him. I have more confidence now before Him than I've ever had but my ability to give the, the love of the father, you know, regularly I meet with people that are just broken and shameful and to be able to to throw arms around them and say, listen, this is how the father sees you. And I can't stop myself. I can't help it. Mm-hmm. Nobody has to ask me to. And I think that's the goal is because, you know, there's this multifaceted glory. So the way you're going to pour out the father, Joel, is going to look a shade different than the way I am. Right, And that's what the Bible means when it says the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Mm -hmm. And the goal is, gosh, if we could stop comparing, if I could stop comparing and need to look the same way Todd White looks, but to thank God that there's a Todd White on the planet, Mm -hmm. and then to say, but what does Christ and Chuck Ammons the hope of glory look like? And just be free to be that, just me and him, and be so caught and lost in the wonder of who he is that I allow those roots to bring out a fruit that looks unique to me. And I've been finding what that looks like, for me and my family and kind of our our faith family here so it's been quite the journey that we've been going here in in florida
0: so you you touched on having a foster kids in your home can you yeah. tell uh talk uh, walk me through where how you got into even even being in a position where you would bring someone else into your home
1: yeah absolutely So um, we've been fostering now, my wife and I, going on three years. uh, And really, not even my wife and I. It's our family. We made the decision when we did this that this is a family ministry together. Um, But really what happened about uh, four years ago, so a year after this breakthrough that I told you, I started feeling this overwhelming desire to foster. Nobody had talked to me about it. Now, uh, my close friend that I told you about is co-pastor with me. He's adopted two amazing kids, and I've gotten to watch how God's poured through that. But I started having this vision of fostering. And my first thought, Joel, was, oh, no, there's no way in the world I'm going to go to my wife and have this conversation. Mm -hmm. We have five children. She homeschools them all. Like, I mean, how do you even bridge that? Like, you know what we could use around here? Something else to eat and poop. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) Just bring, bring something else in the house. So I told the Lord. I said, Lord, I believe this may be your heart. But if it is, I need you to light it on the heart of my wife. And I waited. And I just continued to stay there. Well, I had no idea. But at the very same time, God had been lighting it up on her heart. And so we had this one conversation where we were in the backyard and and watching our kids play. And she just leaned into me and said, don't freak out. But and she began to tell me her heart. I was like, no way. That's what I've been praying for. And so we got this unique vision. And so our vision, because people ask it a lot. Um, obviously we already have five kids, so we're not fostering for anything that we're trying to get out of this for us. We got plenty of joyful noise. My quiver is full, right? (laughs) Any Bible phrase you want to put on it. Um, it was that overwhelming love I told you about Joel, the idea of there's so much brokenness in the world and the father is so big. And I said, you know, I, I want to live in a place where I don't treat the enemy bigger than the grace and transformation and invitation of the father anymore. And I want to be a part of the solution. And so our, our mission, our family mission, is to foster, to reunify. So we step alongside really broken families that have lost their children. Usually it's reasons like uh, abuse, between domestic abuse, between mom and dad, or even toward the kids, um, and drugs. Those are the, the ones that always show up. And our job is to come alongside them and play whatever partnership role we can as an advocate to bring the kids in our home, to be mom and dad, bring them in as brothers and sisters to put them in a safe environment and then to advocate and actually walk alongside the parents and so we have uh this is our our second placement right now we're in we've had a precious uh five and now four-year-old my four-year-old foster daughter uh turned four today so we're getting ready to go celebrate her birthday actually after i'm done uh today with this beautiful time with you um we've had them for over two years now and so we're just in the process of trying to work with the parents, to see them go back. Our first foster daughter that we had for eight months, the most glorious, um, incredible story where we uh, brought her in. They didn't even know who her dad was, and we started praying. And they told us, you're never going to find dad, and if you did, dad's never going to step up. And something just rose up in our family's heart. and we, I can remember it around the dinner table. We said we refused to believe that. And so we boldly prayed at dinner one night as a family, God, find this dad. And we pray that he would defy everything that they've ever said that he'd want his daughter that he'd want to be with her and within two weeks we got a phone call you're never going to believe this but we found dad (laughs) and then another phone call you're never going to believe this but he actually wants to have visits because he had he never knew he had a kid Mm -hmm. so here's this eight-month-old child that he never knew existed um because it had happened in really poor circumstances obviously as often as the case and uh but they told us they said dad's a really tough dude you don't need to go go uh, oversee the visits. And God said to me, you prayed for this dad to come into existence, you will oversee the visits. And so anyway, we um the next months we walked with him, we got the joy of being able, um, after months of that, to have them over at our house when they said, we're ready to award this daughter back to her dad. And I got to stand on my driveway and just say, dad, here's your daughter. This is what you've been waiting for, and mm-hmm. put her in his arms. And to this day, Joel, it's so awesome. We're uncle and aunt to them, oh. and so um, in what I do here, I so I, I get to walk a lot as a pastor and speaker and author and and in a um, a Christian band valleys End. and so we just released an an album right after we had had her, and so she refers to it as Chuck music is what she calls it. <laughs> it's what she it's what she listens to every night to go to sleep, and um, they just sent me a video just a few weeks ago of her and her older sister, her half sister dancing to chuck music and they're singing along all the words and there are these songs about just how deeply you're adored by the father that forever you're going to sing that the, the soundtrack of your soul will be anthems of praise to our king and these are the words i'm listening to my foster daughter who now sees me as an uncle walk out. so i mean it's just mm. yeah i guess what i would say when people have asked like how do you do this what i would say is well that was our mission field that's what it looks like for for chuck and jill the christ of glory uh, you know christ the hope of glory and chuck and jill that's what it looks like um and so the point was, when you're free to know that you're loved by the Father, then you can just be at the place where you can obey as little or as big of what you feel like he's inviting you into. And it's just an amazing journey. So we're loving it. I can tell you, for anybody that's interested in fostering, um, it, it is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, hands down. It's heartbreaking. It's tough. It, it will try every bit of your your patience at times. But you know what? I, we would not see ourselves anywhere else. We feel we're on the front lines with the Father of watching Him establish His kingdom on earth, and it's beautiful. And our whole family is doing it. Our kids um, pray with the kids at night, tuck them in. Like uh, it's just incredible.
0: Awesome, awesome. So, you're you're a pastor. What what's the church? What church are you in?
1: Yeah. So the, the funny thing is, it's now called Overflow Church. So I have been at the same church since 2001, where I came as youth pastor, and our whole staff has been together, I mean, serious longevity. The lead pastor since uh, 97, I believe, the youth pastor since 99, I mean, the worship pastor since 99. And anyway, when all of this happened after I went to this conference, and this word overflow, 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 um, as as the teaching pastor, as I would preach more and more and more, the Lord spoke to our lead pastor and said, his voice has to increase. And we, through a long period of prayer, decided we were going to move toward a fivefold ministry. And so our lead pastor now is an apostolic lead pastor. He is mentoring twenty pastors in our city of all other churches. Oh wow. He, so he's a spiritual father that is incredible. So many of them who have nobody to go to, and it's all kingdom. it's We're not trying to get people to go here or there. we're He's able to walk in and say, "I want to see who God called you to be in the kingdom of God and set you free." So we're watching unity among the body of Christ in our city like we've never seen. Um, my role as teaching pastor is to really carry the vision of what many would call a lead pastor of a church, um, but to carry the vision of the church and to, to lead the staff of the church. And so in 2019, we moved from being South Brandon Worship Center, which is the city we live in, to Overflow Church. And all of our roles, whole staff, all of our roles changed overnight. And it's been like to really fit who God says we are in the kingdom. So we've been going now. We just celebrated two years as a church, have the most amazing, incredible. Uh, leadership, both staff leadership and uh, our missional community leaders and ministry leaders are just unbelievable. And they are running after um, living in every way to receive and release God's love to everyone everywhere.
2: Mm. And
1: so it is, um, it's beautiful. We're watching God partner and do things in our city, um, living out a lot more testimonies, just like the one I was telling you. And um, we couldn't have backed into this and, and stumbled to this one if we tried. It's just been awesome to watch what God's doing. <laughs>
0: Wow are there any other stories maybe from your congregation where love and grace has been a pivotal part to their lives and their understanding of of God
1: yeah so many you know one one I would give you that that would kind of maybe paint a, a bit of a picture was we had um some years ago that there was a uh, a man that was a missionary that came from Haiti, not anybody we knew was just in the city and saw our lead pastor, Lynn, just happened to be at a ministry lunch or something. And Lynn heard him say that his heart was heavy. Like they were feeding this really lavish lunch and he couldn't eat. And it just grabbed his heart to say, because, because Lynn has walked in love and grace for so many years. And he said, what's going on? And he said, well, I just can't, um, I can't eat because the orphans who are back at our orphanage, they haven't eaten in two days. And, you know, I'm here knowing that I've come in obedience to the Lord, but I don't know what I'm going to do about it. And the spirit of God just gripped our lead pastor's heart right then. And he said, you know, I'm I'm not even consulting anybody else. I'm going to say, as God is my witness, that will never happen again. And um, anyway, that was 18 years ago. But what happened through the years, Joel, is our church ended up adopting. So he came back and shared the vision with our church. And we all said, we're going to come adopting this pastor who now has planted 26 churches Mm. in Haiti, has um, an orphanage that is supporting um, anywhere between 60 and 80 kids. Our outreach pastors then ran with the vision that Pastor Lynn started with and said, you know what, we're going to see a way that all these kids are not only sponsored, but that God starts to move. And so that was their piece of it, right? They went down and they said, we could sponsor these kids. We could be at a place where we're praying for them. So on our fridge, we've got a picture of one of these precious children that we're praying for all the time. And so all the kids got adopted immediately. In fact, so many wanted to adopt one of the kids. Um, Two people have adopted each. So it's like doubled the support that's going and prayer support that's going. And then it didn't stop there. A team went and somebody on the team has medical expertise. And they were like, look, it's deplorable health conditions. What if we went to start a clinic? And so now they've started in moving a clinic. And, And so what's happened is this snowball effect, because then when it would go, just this whole idea of, The father really loves us and he wants to share that everywhere then somebody else in the community that taught there said well i can't go to haiti but i'm hearing about all these orphans that are here in our city and what if we were to start a foster closet that made a way for these parents who are trying to get back on their feet to have the supplies they need and so just this past year boom they launched a foster closet and so what i would say to you joel that's been the coolest thing for me to walk in is it is story after story after story of each person saying, okay, if the love of God and the grace of God is really that big, and we don't have to do anything to earn it. When Jesus said it's finished, he meant it. Mm -hmm. He paid it all, which means we don't add anything to it. So in all of our mess we just come today, um, we are watching so many people like that respond in a way where they're saying, because the love of God is real, then the grace of God needs to be dispensed from us. Mm -hmm. And so right now, um, we have what have been our small groups at church have really been transitioned to missional communities basically micro churches that are meeting and all of them together collectively are adopting missions in our city where whether it's foster care one is just uh, has just picked it up there's a lot of um fighting of sex trafficking going on in florida like it's just really bad and so a group of ladies just stepped up and said you know what we're going to step into a ministry where we're going into inner city tampa to wear like the strip clubs and the places like that to show these women who feel like they've crossed the line because for many of them, as, as you know, if you've ever researched it, many of them are at the place where they're moms that are trying to provide for their kids, that they're not wanting to get in a place where they're doing something unsavory, but they don't have any skill sets. They found themselves on the wrong side of what they're doing. They feel dirty, detestable, and deplorable, and yet they do this so their kids can eat instead of them turning to be a drug dealer or something. They said, we're going to go to the front lines, and we're going to tell them that that God thinks they're to die for and that he adores them, and we're going to hug them, and we're going to be present with them. And I mean, that's just the heartbeat that we're watching um, our entire, you know, it's, it's not a not a super large, it's not a mega church congregation. You're talking a few hundred people together, but every single one of them is living as a frontline leader of the kingdom of God to say, you know what, our, our Jesus has come and been so kind and gracious to us now. And so literally our mission statement as a church, you heard me allude to it earlier. It's not we exist, I hate we exist statements because mm-hmm. God didn't call us to exist. Right. God called us to live, right? So we live to receive and release God's love to everyone everywhere, and I got to tell you, Joel, they do. Everywhere I look, that's what I'm finding, like story after story after story. So that's just a few, like, little snippets of where it's at, but we're watching it all over. Really, our congregation take it even global right now.
0: Wow. Wow. It's amazing to see how, from one interaction or a few small interactions, how you say ripples in a pond, how far that reaches. That's it. Where you guys are reaching out to people in Haiti and you guys are reaching out to people probably that you would not traditionally reach in your own community. So, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Um, Chuck, how can people get a hold of you?
1: So our church, uh, Overflow Church, um, myoverflowchurch.com has the info on our church. And then I am a very simple man. I learned one form of social media. I learned Facebook because that was the first one that really hit. And so I tell people when people are like, well, why aren't you on Instagram? Or why didn't you try this? Or why didn't you try that? People always want to know, like, are you making a, a statement? I was like, I'm not making a statement. I just learned one of them. Chuck Ammons on Facebook would be a great place to find me there. And then um, any music fans out there, we have a band, Valley's End, that's a singer-songwriter band that really lives to write anthems about our king and the goodness of our father. so awesome that's what we're doing on this on this side of the country.
0: Thank you Chuck for joining us on the podcast. Um, guys, I would love for you to share this story in this episode. Um, comment, like, subscribe. we're on Facebook. we're on Twitter. Go ahead and find it, share it. Tell us what you're thinking. We want to we know what your thoughts on love and grace are. Can we help you understand what we've what we've been through? We want to help. We want this to be a wonderful point to share love and grace to everyone, including you. And thank you for joining us, and we'll see you right here on the Love and Grace podcast.